This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. All right, if you hear that rocking music, that means it's another episode of Limit Up presented by Top Step Trader. Uh, I'm Jack Pelzer, joined today by... I'm Dan Hodgman. Yeah, we got a real special show today in the interview portion because we have Dan's dad with us in the studio. I know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to call him dad or Dan or Hodge or what to say. I don't even know <laughs> which of you to call Dan or Dan 2 or Dan squared. So on the floor, he went by Hodge. I went, well, I take it back. He, I called him Hodge. He'd call me Danny. Um, and then most of the other guys called my dad Danny. So I was... Dan Jr. So majority of the time when it comes to the two of us, I, he just goes by Dan and I say I'm Dan Jr. Man, I wish I had known that before the interview. <laughs> I'm going to sound like a huge dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we'll get to the interview shortly, but we can do an abbreviated market reaction. Uh, the markets are at all-time highs yet again. Except for Tesla. Except for Tesla. I am beside myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Tesla was down 18% today, which, you know, that'll happen when you go up 20% right, in two straight days and no news. I wonder where uh, where it would be if they didn't uh, lock it out because it went limit down, I think, and then they shut it off for a little bit. So I'm curious how far that thing could have fallen. Yeah, my heart of hearts says that maybe down to 600 or something is where it'll settle. But, you know, I'm not going to go in and test that. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be wrong too bad. Besides that, we had some pretty good economic numbers in general. Yeah. You know what's going to be interesting too is uh, so the boost in crude oil – inventories, but OPEC having a meeting, and this is Wednesday afternoon at uh, 3.57. It has extended it in the overnight. They It wasn't supposed to, but has extended, and it's going to continue to extend. So that'll be really interesting um, on these markets come the tail end of this week, early next week. Yeah, they got to do something, right? I mean, what's the point of being a cartel if you're not going to collude every <laughs> once in a while? Right. I mean, we got to figure, guys, we got to get these prices up. We got to get them higher. I've said it once, like, I am, I'm about to turn 33 years old at the beginning of March. And I just cannot believe, I remember distinctly taking the train from uh, Evanston to downtown Chicago for my uh, college internship between junior and senior year. And the train was packed every day because that was when oil was at like $150 a barrel. If you had told me that, you know, 12, 13 years later, right? $150 it's, a barrel. It's, it's incredible. It's funny. Every time I fill my truck up, I have PTSD from the fact that when I used to fill my truck up, when I lived in North Carolina, I had an older truck and it had a 37 or 38 gallon tank on this thing. Gas prices were pushing $5. Sometimes it was over $5. I was scared to death to even get this truck below three quarters of a tank and something happened and I got sidetracked and one day I was basically at empty and I go to fill up and I had to put my credit card in three times to fully fill the truck because it kept getting capped off, kept getting capped off. Now, every single time I fill, go to fill my truck, I have this like flashback of that yeah. moment. Like, don't go that high. <laughs> we need to get you an American <laughs> Express or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, new market highs. Also, we got volatility back. The uh, VIX was just dead. At the end of the year, after all that motion at the end of uh, 
2018, there was nothing for the first couple of weeks of January. And Absolutely. now we are seeing some movement, which is great. Right. You got coronavirus really spiked this thing. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it keeps up because it did hit some really nice highs. Um, but I, you know, over time, I think we're going to see it come back to that 12, 14 range. Um, but man, it's up there and that's, it's uh, created some interesting volatility. Yeah, man. You got to take advantage of that opportunity when it is there. Uh, somebody who knows a little bit about that. Do you know who it is, Dan? Yeah, I think I do. Guy who used to basically uh, make a living off of volatility. Yeah, yeah. I think you've met him before, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I've known him for uh, a little over 30 years now. Um, guy's pretty good. He went, he uh, traded for 30 years, had zero losing months in his entire career, and uh, he gave birth to a legend. And that is me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to say, you know, uh, despite what I had learned from you, uh, your dad was a really nice guy. And I was glad he stopped by. <laughs> and, uh, you know, without further ado, I say we throw it over to our interview uh, between me and Dan Hodgman and Dan Hodgman. It's funny how that Dan squared. Dan squared. Enjoy, guys. I'll see you after the break. All right. Hello, everyone. We're here today with a very special guest, a very special interview, someone who has been discussed on this podcast before I by Dan. So. And we thought it might be cool to bring him in in the flesh. We have Dan Hodgman Sr. with us today. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Dan's father's with us. Dan, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, we just met earlier. Uh, Dan, you've heard a lot about his trading career, but he is a retired trader, current investor consultant. He's a man of many hats. And uh, we figured he'd be a great guy to bring in and talk a little about, about his view on risk management and uh, trading and order flow and a couple other things that'll be pretty interesting to our retail traders out there. So, uh, Dan, how often do you get to interview your father? Well, I've, I've said it before. I'm fortunate. I kind of grew up in this whole industry, and I used to sit there and listen to him and his brothers chit-chat about straddle this strangled did you guys see that you know these thousand options come in and i always was curious about it and so when i was a kid and he kind of invited me down there and started showing me the ropes and uh basically i've been able to ask him questions for majority of my life and kind of it's been a 30-year interview <laughs> yeah so we can go all inside the actor studio here um hogue talks a lot about how he's from a trading family like third generation um Dan, were you uh, – your family was involved in trading as well? So uh, my dad got involved in um, technical trading probably in his 50s and he was intrigued with it. So then my older brother got – came to the floor, went to the Board of Trade probably in mid-80s and I didn't think it was my cup of tea. So I went to college – well, we all went to college. But after I got out of college, I went and worked as a stockbroker. Again, I'm going to go the, the safe way, the, not the conservative way, not going onto the floor. No, oh, yeah, of course. So you did like business or study that in yeah. college, and yeah. then when yeah. I do but stocks I was always, in the '80s, I was always intrigued with, with the financing world and stuff like that. And so then I thought, okay, stockbroker is the way to go. So I dove into that right out of college, and uh, the crash came in '87, and I had just put a bunch of guys into different portfolios and stocks and. The last three or four days, they were down 50%. And I'm like, I got to tell them what to do. And our manager said, no, we're not answering phones today. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm geez. thinking, wait a minute. I thought I took this conservative approach by being a broker. And after that, I realized I got you know yelled at by a few people. I'm like, I, I, this, isn't my, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to take care of other people's money. So um, fast forward, I decided to give it a shot. And I went down and to the Board of Trade, and I was a clerk. 
Um, I had some money saved, so I was making, I think, I think I was making a grand a month oh. as a clerk. But he split my health insurance with me, so that was important. That's good. So, <laughs> how, and, how, uh, how much different was the um, was the environment between being a stockbroker and then going to the floor? So what what I found was being a stockbroker is more the retail end of things, and you're dialing for dollars, and you're truly a salesman. When I got down to the floor, you were like it was the the old bastion. It was kind of like what you see on the movies, trading places, and you're now in the middle of everything. And when you realize the products you're dealing with, they're enormous. You know, one treasury bond is a hundred thousand dollar face value. You all of a sudden now you put it in perspective. And but down there, you never thought of money. If you thought of it as money, you got in trouble. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm up five grand, or I'm up this. Because if you start thinking of money, you, you, it gets in. It, it's it gets in your head. Yeah. It gets in your head. Next thing you know, you're thinking. You take that yep. bad trade. Well, I was up five. Now I'm only up, you know, thirty eight, yep. and uh, it's just a it's a downhill slope from there. Yeah. yeah, we talk about that a lot with our traders that are in the combine or our funded traders. Is that once you start treating, you know, your futures profits or losses like you would money in your wallet, it's just bad yeah. news bears all around. Oh, it yeah. just doesn't put you in a good mental state. Yeah, I knew some guys that used to, you know, we refer to as ticks. Obviously, up or down and. I remember a guy in the SOP, he used to say when he was up a unit, he'd call it a day and his unit was a hundred grand. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, oh, everyone's <laughs> got different good. units, you know, right. and, and whatever your size is, is, you know, you refer to it that way. But um, for me, it was just kind of a, a learning curve. And once I got down there and started learning the ropes and understanding the products, I thought it was really intriguing. And so I was fortunate that I, I got in the option pits initially and I thought that made the most sense. Than just straight out futures. There's more to it. I call it educated gambling when I started trading options. That's so. a good definition of trading in general. Is mm-hmm. Right. So of, you're clerking, you're on the phone, and so I was how clerk- that transition? So I was clerking for a broker who filled for Goldman Sachs and um, filled just a massive amount of contracts. And we never had errors. You know, it was one of those things that we counter, you know, kept track of everything and Rarely, I shouldn't say never. You never say never, but rarely had errors. And I did that for about a year. And the guy standing in front of this group uh, of brokers was a market maker for a firm that was kind of intriguing. So there were about five different groups that traded the products from the old names like CRT and Bank of America had a group and somebody else had a group. So you would find different niches. So this company was out of New York that I ended up hooking up with and I interviewed with them and they hired me. So I went through the whole learning curve of learning options and trading classes and stuff like that. And fortunately it was a year later I was trading. Those trading classes you did, because that's kind of something that we hear with a lot of our traders and things that we're always talking to them is like where to get the education, that mentorship. Did they have stuff for that? Yeah. So the guys that started this company I was with, it was called Cooperneff and it was actually going back in time. They were from Wharton, School of Business, and one of the guys was, his name was Rich Cooper, and his parents owned Silo, which was a, um, what would you call it? I guess an electronics company, and they sold to like Marshall Fields back in the 80s, but very wealthy, sharp people, and they taught us their style of trading. So we would go to classes, and we'd go to, basically, we'd learn the basic Black-Scholes models and all the technical books of trading. But then we learned their model. And what they would do is they would pound it into us of looking at every trade with a microscope 
what's your risk? What's your exposure? Why are you going to do this? And so as you became a market maker, you started just taking anything that came to you. And then so the, as you build a, a portfolio in your, your position, you're always checking your position. You know, I, literally, I would say when I was trading for that firm, probably every half an hour, we were looking at a risk at, at most. And we had, at one time, we had 16 guys trading this product. Oh, wow. So we were watching our position at all times. Well, it was like one of the most common things I always heard from you was you'd get on the headset and go, what's my risk? What's my risk? I mean, yeah. it was a constant question that was always coming yeah. up. And risk is a weird thing because people don't really understand what the risk is. And, you know, I'm guilty of it too. After I, at the end of my trading career, I started backing some guys and they were trading a power, Texas power. And they were trading ones in three lots and we didn't think it was that much risk. And they... It was like blew up on us and we had no idea the risk. So I think risk was a different animal when there was no computers because on the floor, we never let it get out of whack like the computers can. People don't put their hands down. There's no black swans per se in five-point moves. Mm-hmm. Once computers came around, they took limits off. And so none of us really knew you'd be comfortable going home at night with a position and because you're not going to get a lot of movement overnight, it was never a big deal. But now you've got, in the last 15 years, there's so much extra factors. You know, when I looked at Brexit factor, Trump factor, mm-hmm. you look at black swan factor, anything else that can happen worldwide affects our markets. And every market's different, whether it's crude oil, oil, or S&Ps or bonds. But I've traded treasury bonds, and it turned out everything affected us, geopolitical to oil to war to interest rates. So China just waking up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something, I think that's a really good point because that's something we talk about all the time. Part of our our rules are flat by, you know, prior to 310 in the afternoon. And a lot of people want to carry these positions overnight. You know, markets get really thin. Things can happen really fast. And I think that's just a testament to it right there of everything can affect these trade when you know that the market has some liquidity, when there's that participation, that's going to really help kind of control that risk that you're talking about. Yep. I would agree. And one of the things I learned over in my career as time is is we would take positions home and we'd trade 24 hours when the computers work. And so you'd always have stuff on and I'd put orders flow in overnight. But later or middle of my career, I started taking Friday afternoons off and taking Mondays off. And because of that, We'd leave, I'd go out of town every weekend, and I found that I started paring my position down on Thursday and Friday. And whatever Friday was at about 11 o'clock, I made sure I had no risk on. And I did a study not too long after I started doing this. And because I didn't take a position in on Monday, I was making more money because I wasn't exposing myself to taking a position home on Friday afternoon. When you say sizing down, I think just for people to have a kind of a perspective, what was your average position that you were carrying, would you say? So a book, a portfolio I have usually had between five and 10,000 options on, and but you could manage it down to risk. So you could have, so we traded three months at a time. So one expires in a week, one expires in you know a month later, and then uh, go out three months. So you had to, as a market maker, you took inventory. Right. And, and a lot of it's not risky per se. But it just depends if you've got a skewed market up, if you've got calls, puts, whatever. But you could manage it. Computers were great enough that you could find that you really had no exposure. 
Right. So the only thing that you you got to be concerned about at that point is if something crazy happens and yeah. these positions that you had out of the money all of a sudden become in the money. Well, primarily, primarily I was a volatility trader. And so take Tesla this week. <laughs> if, you're trading, if you're a volatility <laughs> trader in Tesla and you're long volatility, you're killing it even though it's going up and down. Right. You know, so um, for me, direction was never as important as movement. I always wanted movement. So that was my theory, you know, and, and we were able to take advantage of direction if the market was great when it would start one way and you'd follow it. You know? Right. So At that you point, you're not coming way. in with a bias saying, okay, no. I'm long bonds today. No. I'm short bonds. No. It doesn't really matter. No. Bias goes out the window. You're just trading what the market's going to give you. Exactly. Yeah. You're long and short bonds right. all the time. Exactly. And when you say five, 10,000 options, just for people out there that don't know options too well, what would you say is um your delta on that like what how many bonds are you carrying just for oh. perspective because i think that for futures so, people kind of gives an idea so from on, on a going home on a overnight um probably less than five you know maybe 10 at the most overnight mm-hmm. one way or the other um but how, how the options games work is is at one position i'm flat but if we move up a half a point i get longer so what i'll find is that if whatever the bonds are today and, and I go home tonight and they move a half point higher, my position gets me longer. So now let's say I'm long 15. Mm-hmm. And so then I would have orders in to sell them. And then as soon as I get filled, you put orders in to buy them back. So you're basically scalping your volatility or your gamma. And what I found was, um, you know, size is all relative. But when you have things going your way and you have a directional opinion and you can carry them, you know, it's fun to have 100 or 200 bonds on and let them go for a while. And, <laughs> yeah, no you know, but you don't, you know your risk. You know, once I'm playing with the house's money, I'm okay carrying a little bit more is how I did it. Yeah, that's kind of that same concept of yeah. when you're. When you're up, you're up. You can you can take that risk, yeah. but as soon as it starts to go against you, you got to scale down right away, get the heck out yeah. of it, and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as uh, your philosophy on risk management, I was not an options trader. I was trading uh, treasury spreads and auto spreader treasury butterflies and things like that. So still still in the bond sphere, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, like, there's no a little bit more about how you looked at risk. Did you have um, a certain percent of your capital that you were putting at risk um, on a given day so, or week or? You know, in a strange little way to look at it is I used to think that if I could risk five grand to make 25 grand, it was a good risk reward. Later in my career, you're risking 25 to make five. That's not worth it. So you always had to have capital to kind of make the game work. And so as far as I, I never really looked at it from a um, – money standpoint. I just looked at size, for example, what I thought I could handle or not. So for me, a position of, you know, sometimes the, if the market's edgy, I may take take a smaller position. If things are uncertain, I may have a much smaller position, maybe only be exposed, say, five to $10,000 on a two-point move. When I'm going in an unemployment number and I know volatility is going to do it, I may have $200,000 risk on a point move one way or the other. But I felt that I was in control of it. I was right on top of it. And that's when that's when you profit is when you're willing to take that kind of risk and control it. I think that's the key point is you you know the risk going into it. It's not you get into it and then determine where's your risk. Yeah. Going into it and knowing exactly, okay, this is this is the risk I have on the table. Anything beyond that, I have to be done. I would say I was primarily a micromanager. Everything I did was 
you know, and I, I guess when you think of it from a money perspective, I looked at my positions on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. I never looked at it much bigger. And then at the end of the year, I'd go, oh, wow, that worked out great. But if I tried to look at it, I know I know traders would look at it annually and say, oh, I'm this on the year, I'm this on the year. I, for me, it was too it was too stressful to worry about it on an annual basis. I looked at it every day. And I'm like, if I can hit a single five days a week, that's a good day. It's not it's a, a good bad, month. It's not a bad month. year. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you can really only control the trade that you're executing next or in now. When you start thinking, I know – I'm terribly guilty of that. I was <laughs> I would start looking at yearly numbers and then be like, "Well, I'm behind now." And then yeah. what comes next is never right, pretty. You're running. You're, you're yeah, seeing but I, where I you think need our, to be. So we, with options expiring every three weeks or four weeks, you had to kind of close out. You had to. You know, that was the nice thing. We were able to close up every quarter, every month, or whatever, and take a day or two. But that was that's why it became easier to micromanage, but you know, the, the numbers are, it's, it's all a game. And, and what I found is ironically after time, I did it for 26 years, I guess, on my own. Um, I worked for a firm before that. And when I was with the firm, we only had one bad day that I can recall. And that was the mini crash of 89. And I think we lost about $7 million and in a day. Yeah, that's more than a mini for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and we had, so we had about 10 guys trading for us and, uh, but then we made the next six months, we made $14 million. But at the end of the day, the, the owners of the firm, they uh, docked our pay because they said we took too much risk when we lost the $7 million. And the risk, what ended up happening is that we had 10 guys trading it. And right before the mini crash was on a Friday, people were – all the traders were taking undue risk, throwing positions into the book. And then they, at 2 o'clock, they realized we had – we were against the market, and they didn't realize till too late. So that was an expensive lesson. And even though we made it all back, these guys had a right. They said, mm -hmm. you took too much risk. And the risk was that we, the boss wasn't keeping track of everyone's trades. You, you know what I think would be helpful here for our traders is, um, so when you take a big loss like that, how do you go about kind of getting back into the game? Or how do you make adjustments after something like that? That's a good question. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, it's, you suck it up. Um, that was a firm, so it wasn't like it affected me as much as I had one bad day on my own. So I, I was fortunate that I was profitable every month, and that's how I look back on it, and I think that was a winner. And it's a huge winner. And in 08, I believe it was, the bonds had a crazy move on a Thursday night, and we had expiration on Friday. And I had a position on them. And back then we were doing – it was it was good. We were making three, four, five hundred thousand a month between myself and two other guys. So it was a really good run. And this one day we had a position on that uh, we expired the next day, and it was going our our way. So our position went from we were up say three hundred thousand, and by the time ten o'clock rolled around, we had exposure. We were short a thousand futures, another two points higher, and it had moved eight points already. So now all of a sudden I'm in a position that, wait a minute, you're up a lot of money on your position, but you have exposure and two more points. So I started buying bonds on highs to stop it out. And as soon as I did, we never got to that position. I ended up getting out of them. It was a half a million dollar loss that night. But that was one of those things that you're like, we were up 600000 on a month, so I lost five hundred. Okay, big deal. But it is a big deal because I looked at my risk. I stayed up all night in front of the computer because if we went another – Two points higher, I was losing a million dollars. 
and I think that's a that's a great lesson is the sense of the more focus was, look, I'm, I know where I'm at now, but where this thing can go, I have to protect myself before it gets there. So you're covering that exposure, you're covering that risk and saying, look, there's a point where you have to say enough's enough. I got to cut my losses. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's one of the hardest things for people to do. It's very easy to shut down the winning trade when you're up a hundred bucks or, you know, you're up a small amount, but it's very easy to let the losers run. Because well, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. I'm going to make money on this is I that mean, mentality it so is. often. Right? <laughs> in that situation, we most of the guys, that was, locals in the same, were in the same position I was in. The bigger firms, at the time, I was just, I was by myself. It was my own money. And um, the big firms didn't do a thing. They let it go. And they came back and they all made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I stopped myself out for potential risk to the upside. So I was buying futures on the highs. Because if it kept going, I was in trouble. Yeah. So how'd you if come I did in the nothing, next day? If I did nothing, I would have been great. The next day, I went in and just closed out of my position and took a couple of days off and said, okay. You know, it's funny. It's like we say that all the time. You have a crappy day. Take a couple of days off. I've said it a thousand times. I bet you guys now know where I get that from. <laughs> yeah. When you puke a position and then, you know, more often than not, I feel like it does come back, you know. But I feel like overall, the people that, you know, Get out of those things earlier. You're so much better in the long run. Yeah. Well, just it's it's a pain threshold. What can, what can you take it? And I knew some big traders that said I can, you know, I'm big enough. I can handle all the risk and or I can wait it out. Well, that the stress not worth it. Yeah. You know, the gray hairs you get. Usually, when you make the decision to get out, of course, it costs you another tick or two. You can't just when you make that mental decision to to exit, it still costs you to get out. Right. It's a shame. So on the flip side. You've had some pretty good winning days too. Yeah. What's the mentality on those types of days? Well, when I'm up, I'm, you know, I'm not the type of guy that's going to, if I'm having a good day, I'm not going to leave at 10 o'clock. I'm like, I can't imagine (laughs) what I'm going to make between 10 and 12 or between 12 and 2. Mm -hmm. So when it's going my way, I like pushing it and taking a little extra and, you know, taking the profits when I can. If you're playing blackjack and you're, you're in a winning table, why would you get up and walk away just because you made a little bit of money? If you stay with it, is when you make more. And so it's it's relative that when you're trading and your things are going your way, it's smart to stay with it. At what point though? So let me ask you this because I think it's fun when it's going in your way from up till ten, and then yeah. all of a sudden from ten till noon starts to go against you. When do you have to say, "All right, you know what? My hot streak's over. The table's gotten oh, cold." Oh, pick a stop. You know, let's say you know whatever your number is. If you're up. You know, if you're up, let's use a thousand dollars, and and you start. That's a good day, and next you're up twelve hundred, up fifteen hundred, and all of a sudden it turns on you, and you get back to a thousand. Okay, I'll still take that thousand. I'll get out. So, I would say that's the most important thing is not to not to give it all back, and just having that personal discipline to yeah. be yeah. like, oh, okay, I have to stop. Yeah, it's still a good day. It's a great day. Yeah, I I know too many guys that have a winning position and turn them into losers because they think it's going to be a grand slam. Right. And I was a, you know, I refer to baseball as the best way, singles, doubles, triples. You know what? I probably in my whole career, I had a couple of home runs. I had a couple of, a handful of triples, but a lot of singles and doubles. And you know what? Those were. Any grand slams? Yeah, a couple, but I would, I would say one or two, but more, more singles and doubles. That's what Mm -hmm. pays the bills. That's what gets you through. Right. That's what pays the consistency. Yeah. That's how you keep taking a paycheck. Exactly. Exactly. You want to pay yourself. Pay yourself first. Yeah. Don't argue that. Yeah, I was telling Dan the other day that when I heard you hadn't uh, 
had a losing month along the way. I said, Dan, that was the same thing with me. I didn't have a losing month for six years. And then I strung a bunch of them together. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that's amazing. And then, so you did most of your, um, as far as learning, you just learned by doing and by having mentors and things like that? Or are there any resources you found um, helpful so, along the way? So the back in the um, late 80s, early 90s, the company I was with had training programs that we would do every day after work and for as a clerk. And you'd stay for four hours a day, four days a week, and, you know, you go through it. And that was their pr training program. But back then, the options, we, would always, we were always reading different models like uh, – Different books that were almost statistical. So Sheldon Nattenberg, it's yeah, behind my all desk. that stuff, all that stuff that you're kind of, it, it's. Do I call it schedule training or actual commodity training? Yes and no, but it's more stat, stats and and statistics and probabilities and knowing your exposure, knowing your you know what what your opportunities are, and so you know that's just a mathematical way of looking at it. So. Was that much more intensive, um, you know, as computers have progressed and stuff? Obviously, trading options was probably a lot different yeah. in the early 90s and things like that. Was there more in general, you know, having to think on your feet? And oh, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, reading the broker. I mean, that back then it was, you know, now you don't, the computer's not going to tell you when he's got a lot to do. No. Yeah. When, when I had a broker in front of me that he was shaking his, and his hands were shaking it, we opened at 720 and it's, quarter after seven and the guy's sweating like a pig and he's shaking his hands you know he's got a big order in his hands <laughs> yeah and so the question is do you want to be first right or not and you know so when you can read a broker that was your biggest thing yeah well you know what's interesting is they're almost moving beyond you mentioned the the tesla thing earlier and one of the uh things people are citing for this parabolic move is that now we're even beyond the computer programs and we're uh some companies are doing these machine learning things. Mm -hmm. They're just recognizing patterns. Yep. And now we don't even know what they're doing anymore. The computers are recognizing patterns that humans don't know what they're doing. And uh, that could really exacerbate some, you know, crazy moves. For it makes sure. it really difficult to read the market and where it's going to go. Well, you know, like I said, when you get out of a position, you make that decision, you get your hand on the clicker, and you go to buy a 10 lot, let's say, and the market's you know, 23, 24, you go to buy the 24s. And the minute you put your mouse over the 24, it disappears. You're like, what, they know I'm puking? Mm -hmm. And you end up paying 26 <laughs> to get out because it's look, big brothers looking over the top of you all the time. So it's just one of those. And I think like you're saying with Tesla, I think guys got caught short and we saw, we saw just an incredible, incredible move. Unbelievable. In that market. Yeah. It's unbelievable watching that go. Yeah. Um, so I was fortunate growing up with my dad as a trader sitting here. Um, what were some of the fun things that, you know, when you look back on the career, what were some of the cool things, you know, fun things that you look back and go, gosh, that was just a highlight. That was fun. You mean work-related or personal? Uh, dealer's so, choice. Dealer's so choice. It kind of it created opportunities for us in a sense that, you know, I was fortunate at a young age to build a big house. I was fortunate to buy a second home. I was fortunate to have four kids that I was able to coach every every sport. I was able to be home at a reasonable hour and have a quality of life. I never had to get on a plane and be somewhere at a certain time or answer phone calls or deal with people. I was basically, I was my own boss. I was 100% my own. And early in my career, I, I never really took any time off because I thought, you know, it's not going to last. 
And uh, finally, after about 15 years, I finally gave in and started taking time off and maybe 10 years, I guess. But um, it, it was more important. And I truly enjoyed the vacations. So when I could leave and turn it off and walk away from the, the trading, it was probably the healthiest thing I could have done. And I was fortunate to travel all over the world with a bunch of guys doing hiking and biking trips and take my kids to places all over the world, which was the opportunity I got from this business. Yeah, it presented some pretty cool opportunities. It Just did. even for us kids, getting the opportunity to come hang out on the floor once a year. We'd come down here. Mom would bring us all down. It was it was always just, you know, something that didn't make sense. I, I think just looking at it from like the kids' perspective, having you know growing up in the family, I would go to Skedco to school, and these kids would be, oh, I haven't seen my dad in three days. He's been working late. I'm like, gosh, my dad. He's walking in the house pretty much when we're walking in from school. And I think that was just one of the coolest things is managing those hours and being able to, you know, be there when you wanted to. And then as long as you continue to stick to that trading plan, manage that risk, it presents yep. some pretty cool opportunities. Yeah, and the floor was great too. There's a lot of people down there. You get the great camaraderie. You know, those were one of the things when you look back on it, you know, you miss. You miss keeping track of, you know, what's going on with this guy or watching – Someone has a baby. Next thing I know, the kid's in college. Now he's married. And now he's, you know, so you watch <laughs> that whole progression from a group of a lot of guys that just stood in front of. And it was, uh, it was fun. And I think that's a cool point to bring up because that's, you know, something that, you know, part of the reason with this podcast, everything we're doing here at Top Step, creating our Facebook community, trying to create places for people to talk and, you know, get to know each other. For someone out there that doesn't have that access to the floor, what would you tell those guys to help kind of get through the day sitting by themselves or, you know, what would you recommend? Trader meetups or something along those lines, you know? Yeah, I think there's, I think online is great. I mean, I, I find myself looking around different things online and I'm a big, I love reading information. I love finding out about what's going on in my markets. I always used to like to get, you know, a different take on things, mm -hmm. you know, and, guys that are, you know, guys that are on the floor, I always listen to their opinions and stuff like that. And, you know, so that was, that I do miss, you know, being able to talk to them. But I think the computer is a great thing to, to get communicating with. Yeah. I mean, it's such a huge psychological barrier is I never traded on the floor, but I was on the uh, screens the whole time. And if there weren't other people there, you'd got to find them out. I'd just go insane otherwise. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I it makes a huge difference when you, you have people around that you can sit and chat with. And even if it's just someone to kind of bullshit with and not even talk about the markets, but just to help get through the day and uh, take your mind off of the positions you've got, the money you're in and out of and things of that nature, I think it's super important. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I would agree. All right. So you've been retired a few years now. Yep. When you retired, first off, what was the reason, you know, how, when you were walking off that final day, what was it like? And, you know, what helped oh, make you that decision? It was melancholy. I mean, it's something I did. I got up at 4.30 every morning and it was my routine my whole life. And I never thought I could switch it, turn it off. But uh, the reason it turned off was it became much more um, risky, mm -hmm. I guess, in that world because – I started – the best example for me was Brexit happened and I had never really been scared trading. But in Brexit, our volatility – say our average volatility was 8 or 9 percent and maybe spike at 10 or 11. 
our volatility was like 21 or 22 percent. I remember and that. And spiked to 23s and 24s. Never did I see that kind of things that, you know, values of, of options that should be worth nothing or worth a whole lot more. And I never saw, I saw people doing, you know, crazy, stupid things, which made me think that something just doesn't look right. So fortunate for me on Brexit, I got out of my whole position the morning of it and everyone's like, oh, it's going to be fine. Well, they closed, bond market closed at four o'clock and reopened at five. And in that window, Brexit passed and the bonds opened up four or five points higher. And it was just a bloodbath for a lot of guys that were in that world. So that was my first sign. And then since I traded interest rates, I really wanted to wait for interest rates to to be raised and mm-hmm. see what happens. In the old days, when interest rates would move, they would, they would be like giving money away. The opportunity was there when in January of 17, I think it was, was the first thing, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those markets were so tight. Yeah, just right. the bids offers just done. stacked. Yeah. It was like, move all day. So we didn't even move. So that you're thinking, but this is what I'm waiting for? And then the Trump factor, you know what? That, that actually crazed the market too. So that's when I realized that I was trading more. I was I was actually I don't want to say scared, but I, I was trading not to lose versus the way I traded my whole life. My whole life, I was to me, it was an opportunity. And then at the end, it was now you're going in just just to not lose means right. you should the risk be doing was starting to outweigh the reward. Yeah, so the so I basically I prepared myself. I knew it was coming. I really would have liked two more years or three more years, but you know what? At that stage of the game, I left with my head up and. Didn't have any, you know, took my capital and walked away and haven't looked back. As a matter of fact, myself and uh, Top Steps founder, Michael Patak, came down and uh, walked him off the floor, walked off the floor with him that day. It was pretty cool. Well, yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was a good run. No complaints. And uh, now you get to sleep in a little bit and. Yeah, you know what? And I did make a lot of connections in the business. And now I'm uh, I'm an investor with a couple guys that uh, were traders, former traders and the biggest difference in me and everyone else that does what I do now is private equity and, and small investments in different companies is my risk appetite is different. I understand it. I'm willing to take a little bit more risk at my at this stage, and I don't worry that if I throw something at a, a, a company and fifty, you know, I've got a slim chance that it'll survive. But if it does, I've got one right now that's a unicorn that I put a little bit of money into it and it's turned into a fortune. So. My theory is I'm taking bats. I'm taking a chance to invest in 10, 12, 15 different companies. And every time I do, I figure, you know, we do our education on them, but we think we just want a handful of them to be winners. Right. And the risk management you learned in the trading trading world kind of carries over to help understand that, you know, where to look for opportunity, understanding that, hey, every time I put in, uh, put on a trade or make an investment and putting money on the table that I have to be willing to understand where I'm going to lose. Yep. And I have to know my out. Agreed. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. thanks so much for stopping by as well. I hear your uh, rides on the way. Chauffeur's yes. almost here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Dan's mom. I think she picks Dan up every day from work too. I wish. <laughs> I wish. I'm going to commute like the rest of us. Yeah, well, anyway, I guess we'll wrap things up. Sounds and, good. Uh, yeah, thanks for stopping by. My and, pleasure. Uh, we'll see all you guys out there next week. Thank you very much. I appreciate you coming in, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. You're welcome. Take care. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. If you haven't, join our Facebook group. 
It's super exclusive, super cool. Follow us on Instagram. I sound like my my dad. Talking <laughs> it's my wife. Super, oh, it's cool. super cool. Come come join our Facebook group. It's cool. We talk about trading stuff. Uh, but it is super cool. Uh, follow our blog and uh, check out all of our social media for the latest updates and promotions from Top Step Trader. Check out our YouTube page. That's uh, a good place to go. That's Jack good. has become the human sacrifice um, when it comes to talking politics on the recap. I mean, it's where I go for my self-flagellation. You know, I need to punish myself. <laughs> right. I've been a bad boy and I deserve to talk politics. It's a perfect place to do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's about the, you know, close to the weekend. Hope you guys have something really cool planned. Super cool. Super cool plan this weekend. You got plans? Uh, me? This weekend? No, I plan on just sitting around and doing nothing. Sounds like a nice weekend. I know. After this last weekend was busy, sitting around, doing nothing this weekend. Good for you. Yeah. Everyone out there, hope you're doing something uh, that you like doing this weekend. Hope the trading week treated you well. And uh, we'll see you next week with a brand new guest. In the meantime, namaste and trade well. This episode produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.